0: Welcome to the James Spader Podcast. I'm Mike Gray, and I'm joined by Chris Andrick and Eric Peppel to debate, ponder, and wax philosophic about the films of James Spader. This show, we're looking at mannequin, talking about department stores, shopping malls, consumerism, and even a little market research. So dummy up or dummy down and get ready for mannequin. And welcome to the James Spader Podcast. I'm Mike Gray. And I'm Chris Undrick.
1: I'm Eric Peppel.
0: And today we are talking about the film Mannequin. Released in 1987, Mannequin was directed by Michael Gottlieb and starred Andrew McCarthy, Kim Cattrall, Meshach Taylor, James Spader, G.W. Bailey, and Estelle Getty. The film follows McCarthy, who plays Jonathan Switcher, an unemployed artist who gets a job in a department store and falls in love with the mannequin Emmy, played by Kim Cattrall. The song Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship, which plays during the credits of the film, received a nomination for Academy Award for Best Original Song, reaching number one in the Billboard Hot 100 on April 4, 1987. Though the film was quite successful and debuted at number one, surpassing the Sylvester Stallone vehicle over the top, critics were not so keen to concur with Mannequin's success at the box office. Leonard Maltin would say, absolute rock-bottom fare, dispiriting for anyone who remembers what movie comedy should be. Roger Ebert gave it a half-star and deemed it dead, while Rita Kempley would say it was a film made by, for, and about dummies. Part of the film's success, however, must be attributed to Joseph Farrell, who served as the executive producer on the film and designed the film specifically to appeal to certain target demographics. McCarthy, though not a star, was cast after tests of his film showed that he appealed strongly to young women, the film's target audience. So, Mannequin is kind of a Pygmalion meets consumerism. Uh, closer to Ovid's narrative in the Metamorphosis than it is that of the play by George Bernard Shaw or the film My Fair Lady. In Ovid's story, Pygmalion, the sculptor, falls in love with his statue, as Switcher, the frustrated artist, does with the mannequin Emmy. Emmy, however, unlike Pygmalion's statue, is emblematic of the 1980s consumerism. The film also takes place in a department store, John Wanamaker's Department Store, now Macy's, located in Philadelphia to be specific. A number of other popular films from the 80s were likewise built around centers of shopping. Horror movies like Dawn of the Dead, which actually came out in 1978, but I am including it in this list, Night of the Comet, and Chopping Mall. Comedies like Fast Times at Ridgemount High and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and the Canadian children's TV show, Today's Special. While Today's Special was a TV show, I would, however, point out that all the movies that I have just named take place in a shopping mall and not a department store like that in Mannequin. I think this is an important uh, thing to note because the department store in Mannequin recalls the more high-end Parisian counterpart than it does the Everyman, Everywoman shopping mall. There aren't, to my knowledge... Too many movies uh, that take place in department stores and none that I can think of, unless you guys can, that take place contemporary with Mannequin, besides the TV show, uh, and that was a TV show, as I said earlier, today's special. This aside, Mannequin still takes place in a center of shopping. So, Chris and Eric, how do you think exactly Mannequin deals with and treats the idea of
1: that is
2: a good question.
1: I uh, I think your your distinction between the mall and the setting of the department store is is maybe the the more interesting place to begin um, because obviously the the structure of the film itself and its its you know echoes of Pygmalion and, and this sort of classic um, Western story uh, uh, from which it takes the the bare bones of its plot and its structure. Uh, is obviously harkening back to uh, to more screwball uh, kind of comedy, a more screwball kind of era, um, which uh, you know was a very common thing in in the '80s. This sort of nostalgia for the past, this nostalgia for uh, an idealistic past, and, and here centering it at this department store, it's not only trying to position the film as a more classic. Uh, sort of screwball comedy, but also tapping into this vein of of nostalgia, which the whole film is is sort of predicated on. Um, whether it's the mannequin's nostalgia for her past, or Andrew McCarthy's nostalgia and, and drive to to want to be an artist in this sort of old timey sense. He's a sculptor, even which which as a art form in more mainstream films was was never really acknowledged as such. It was more focusing on. Painting or performance art was sort of the thing that that circulated around there. So it's immediately grounding the the film itself in a, in a bygone era, which, in in some ways, I would wonder if the filmmakers would use to argue it's enormously retrograde <laughs> attitudes towards towards gender and sexuality and uh, male female relationships.
0: So, so uh, just to kind of repeat what you said, you are suggesting that by choosing in part to be set in a department store, you kind of see that choice as being um, a, a, like you said, a harkening back to the past or this nostalgia or the it references a litany of kind of well, there at the beginning like Garbo he mentions uh, yeah. he mentions Garbo so it kind of it's constantly doing these head nods to uh, classic Hollywood. Um, yeah,
1: and even in the, the big montage sequence, um, which is one of the first or second nights that that he's aware that this mannequin comes to life uh, when he looks upon her, uh, there, the costuming and such is even hearkening back to um, old-style musicals, uh, 1930s, 40s, 50s era, uh, Hollywood from the fur coats, the Tommy guns, um, all of these sort of very hackneyed, uh, stereotypical images from, from the cinema of that era.
2: What is that? There's a uh, Charlie Chaplin film where he's in a department store and he's rollerblading near the edge and he almost keeps roller... Or not rollerblading. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Chaplin was rollerblading. But uh, do you know what I'm talking about or no? It's like Modern Times or City Lights. One of those. It's the only other thing I can think of in a department store.
0: Oh, well, there are... uh tobacco. up It's a there, scene. Yeah, there are other movies set right. in department stores... I was just trying to think of in the '80s uh, or the late '70s. Most of the films that I could think of, like a, I know there are, there's a Jimmy Stewart film that's set in the department store.
1: Yeah, the Shop Around the Corner. Shop Around
0: the Corner and
1: Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Yes, yeah, so there, uh,
0: those films are the ones that those are set in more like a department store. Um, but I was thinking of this kind of like, I mean, this is a this structure, uh, this Macy's, uh, or John Wanamaker's department store, it is massive. I mean, it has an organ in it and then kind of like the open, you know, where you can literally like, you can look down onto the floor. Um, and it really is kind of was set up more like those, uh, yes, more like the Parisian, uh, uh, department store, um, Ah. more, more classy, um, as opposed to, uh, I guess the, uh, shopping mall, which is kind of, I think, you know, interestingly, this kind of speaks a little bit to where we live, Chris, the more democratic institution of the shopping mall where everybody can go and participate, except for the Mall of America, when you sometimes peaceably assemble and they (laughs) shut your ass down.
2: That's true. That did happen.
0: Still, I think if you, you get a, you're supposed to, everybody can go and participate in the Mall of America. That's kind of the idea where it has all these stores or. Something for everybody, children alike, with its Right. Like the early and, idea
2: of a mall was it could be a place where people could go and gather and then they could also shop, but you know, a meeting place because those don't exist in America anymore. But some no. someday they'll exist outside of commerce again, maybe we got parks. Well, I but. think
0: you know, I mean th- this is diverging wildly from the topic, but you think about even films like Mall Rats which was really a nostalgia about something at that point in time. I mean, I have a nostalgia about malls. And there was a shopping mall in the town that I grew up that I would go to as a kid in the arcade. And it was a meeting place. Kids would go there. You would go there on Friday night and meet your friends or hope to meet new friends. Um, And it really was kind of a meeting place. And uh, I, I believe Kevin Smith has pitched a mall rats too. and somebody rather snidely said, like, why would he even do that? Do people even go to malls anymore? <laughs> it's something that, like, that idea, we do all our, our shopping online. So now the only time it seems like I go to the mall is when I need to buy shoes. Well, but still, you can buy them online. You're probably better off buying them online than in, than in Foot Locker like me. <laughs>
1: Well, that, that would be. I know there's been for years now um, talk of because you know everything from from the 80s at this point is getting rebooted or, or remade or whatever uh, word you choose to say for uh, reestablishing a, an, a, an existing property that might have a nickel to be, to be squeezed out of it uh, is is seeing what the the remake how the remake would situate the idea of commerce or shopping um, whereas the this the nineteen eighty seven version is obviously situating in, in this place that was probably not even really that relevant in eighty seven was this hearkening to the past. Uh would then a remake now have to take place in the online sphere and how does that then begin to position that? So would the would you know Zach Efron, or who inevitably plays Andrew McCarthy's role, uh be building mannequins in a run down, abandoned dead mall? I
0: I yes. He'd be graphic
2: designing women that go on a website and then they would come alive <laughs> somehow
1: and talk to him.
0: If only the reboot could be that great. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, it's like, I hope Hollywood is listening right
0: now. We're <laughs> uh, giving you ideas <laughs> for
1: free. For That'll be $1 million. <laughs> no, you can talk uh, to our agents.
0: But it, yes, it did like as a choice for a setting, it felt dated then. Um, yeah. and then I, uh, you just in my kind of research of the film, and, I mean, all this stuff is readily available on Wikipedia. It's not really research. Um, but I was surprised to find, I mean, that's in Philadelphia. I was thinking it was New York um, or a different city at first. Uh, it didn't it immediately kind of register that I was, well, I mean, it says Philly at the beginning. I know it kind of says that they're in the credits. But that, that location of the department store, I didn't realize that that was in Philly. Um, and a Macy's now. Uh and the other store, the other store, Boss Cough's, the Rival store, there was a I don't think they have boss calls out here. Have either of you ever heard of Boss Calls? Never. Never,
1: the, never heard of it.
0: It looked there was a boss Coughs. I lived in New Jersey, and that's the store so the Rival store, B J Wert, his store with the mirror ceilings. It looked exactly the same this Uh, boss calls in Quaker Bridge Mall in New Jersey and I believe Quaker Bridge Mall may have closed in I want to say 2000 I don't know 7 something around there it closed down but the boss calls look exactly the same so nothing had changed it had these gaudy mirror ceilings and uh, lights everywhere and um yeah, it hadn't changed at all. It's kind of stuck in, in its own sort of past. Maybe why, again, that mall closed, and that was a relatively, I don't know, that it's a high-traffic area, that mall, but it couldn't stay, keep its doors open. Huh.
2: Maybe they set it in a world of commerce to kind of create a parallel, right? Because Andrew McCarthy's character is an artist trying to work in a world surrounded by commerce and quantity over quality, so maybe they're setting it up kind of like, when artists back in florence had to work within the confines of the medici family and religion and they're drawing the same parallel like you have to work to your surroundings if you want to function at all creatively
0: i would love that they were actually <laughs> investigating that that's an idea chris okay that's a stretch no no it's not <laughs> yeah. a, it's a good point it's a good point because one of the one of my questions was is Maca- is he is jonathan Switcher an artist is he an artist Or is he just crazy? (laughs) Is he an artist? And you just gave a very plausible explanation for how he could be an awesome artist, yet the movie does nothing to tease that idea out. That would have been an awesome idea Yeah. to just—it's a thread. It's like—it's the 80s. It's all there. They could have—I don't know, and they they didn't. So I think it's a good point, but I don't think it's there in the movie.
2: yeah i have an alternate theory as to what the movie's about as well because i watched this movie i watched like half of it a good while back because we considered doing this podcast earlier but then we waited and uh so i have old notes from the first time i watched the first half and i apparently i wrote down i theorized could this movie be about jacking off in a department store to a mannequin (laughs) quote
0: you're the only one who can see me (laughs) you've you've hit both my points I, is Jonathan Switcher an artist, yeah, or, or is a he pervert. Just, right a perv and crazy? Well, right. um, well, and then kind of, I guess bringing that to to Eric's point, or <laughs> you so
1: mentioned, tracing a new impulse of performance art. But uh, yeah.
0: but you had kind of mentioned, and I do think that there is a there are some very specific gender roles that the that the film subscribes to, and then within that um, gender, well, I guess sexual interests. Possibly that wouldn't be considered normal um, within the film's world. Uh, One of those being uh, the obviously homosexual character played by Tyler Meshack, who doesn't quite fit it. He's the one person who kind of gets McCarthy's character and gets Switcher uh, in this alternate form of possibly sexuality. You know, is he interested in this um, in this mannequin? But. Then, of course, you know, it does, I don't know, it does nothing with that idea because then it just at the end, she becomes a real woman and everything's cool and heteronormative activities are kind of, you know, firmly reestablished and they're married in the shop window. So, again, I kind of feel like any of these points that the film could have possibly explored in some sort of more interesting or richer way, it, it just fails to do so. It doesn't really follow this out, and
1: and and, and the film also uh, actually very verbally uh, upfront, not even subtextually, links uh, the Hollywood character's homosexuality with um, with Andrew McCarthy's character's uh, sexual attraction to the mannequin, and in a way linking it as some sort of aberrant. Both of them yeah. as behaving aberrantly and outside of the norm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, in, you know, in, in an intensely problematic thing, and, and speaks to sort of the inherent unconscious, unconscious in this case, I think, very conscious homophobia that, that tended to exist in eighties in films—that very casual uh, sort of, oh, they're the garish sort of freaks who got a one-liner for any scene, and right, yeah,
2: yeah. You could argue, though, that uh, the main character defends uh, that character quite a bit. And the bad guy actually hates him. Who's the bad guy? It's that uh, security guard who's in G- police academy. G W Bailey. Yeah, because he is obviously a bigot, and I forgot exactly what he says about the the Hollywood character, but it's something derogatory against gays. And then uh, Switcher stands up for him.
1: Yeah, and and I you know I wouldn't necessarily disagree that I don't think that the character itself, the, the McCarthy character himself is, right, more is the inherently homophobic, but I do think the film's the structuring and positioning yeah. of, of the Hollywood character does speak to as, as though um, being gay sort is, of is deviant or, as well. or, or, or a or a very cheap shorthand about yeah. the stereotype. Um, but then again, the entire film is a lot of cheap shorthand about stereotypes.
0: Yes. Yeah, so you're just saying that the 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 overall structure the 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 dominant ideology in the film disapproves of these types of behaviors and i think that's evident just by them reestablishing the ideology at the end that is approved yeah um that you know well, and, straight and, people can get married
1: yeah and and the mere fact that the only major female character in it who isn't the Estelle Getty character, who is is nominal, to, who is barely relevant to any of the proceedings, is a woman who can quite literally only come to life when a man looks at her. Like that is uh, <laughs> that, in and of itself, sort of reinforces hmm. um, this idea that the film is rooted in a in an antiquated uh, ideology, and and that it's quite literally the male gaze that um, she can only perform or have agency for.
2: There's that, and then there's uh, his girlfriend from the beginning who only cares about him when he has a good job. Yeah. And then tries to use weird tricks to get him back once yeah, he Yeah, the
1: only female characters are uh, monsters who are plotting against yeah. you, um, <laughs> women
2: also who only could come to theme, life though. when you look
1: at them, and yeah. an older lady who owns a failing business.
2: I considered that as a theme when I was look, watching this, too, because he's like a creative guy and the only way like he can have a relationship is if he's with this mannequin that just does whatever he wants and is 100% perfect, and he can be creative that way without like a terrible real life girlfriend pulling him down. I guess seems <laughs> to
1: be a the theme. I don't know. And and that would have been again like to what Mike was saying earlier. Had the movie even. Slightly began to to broach that. I think it would have been a far more interesting, far less frustrating thing, and, and would have, in some ways, diffused some of those those female um, stereotypes that that they were uh, that they put forth. Because um, that's that's really an interesting angle to take on it. That this person who he would have to be, you know, recast as sort of a terrible person uh, and a creep, but that would be an interesting character to follow as one who quite. Can only relate to a woman if she's an inanimate object who bends to his whim.
0: Yeah, and well, and the fact that she uh, um, she does initially only come to life when he sees her. If that if it had ended that way, (laughs) and not (laughs) got it again, that would have been uh, for me at least. They're dealing with a, a somebody who has some problematic views. Yeah, but there's a choice in kind of following that through to the end, as opposed to just kind of giving in and kind of caving at the end, and then she becomes real. Uh, finally, when maybe, like you were saying, Eric, uh, he actually finally has a good job. Um, you know that that he is he has moved up the ranks in the department store, and now he can actually become a contributing member of uh, society as society sees fit or deems fit. Um, Do do you guys think that, uh, would you say that, I mean, we've kind of been, I guess, beating around this, but what is Emmy a stand-in for? Um, Is she a stand-in for something? I
2: I think she's kind of a, I don't know. There's a lot of movies in the 80s where boys would fantasize about, I don't know, like weird science, you know, having the perfect girl who is created magically for them. And I guess the modern equivalent, I guess, is internet pornography so maybe it's a prediction of that and a detachment from real relationships into uh dream relationships
1: yeah that that weird science <laughs> and I'll say this as a fan of the movie weird's <laughs> weird science but that that is that is a connection I didn't quite make as explicitly but that is an interesting theme and granted these these themes of um, you know men or boys attempting to Create their perfect woman in in some manner, uh, whether through the the technology they're given at the time is is an interesting thread and an interesting anticipation of of like you say, Chris the 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 pick the the fetish or the 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 sexual pleasure of your choosing with your online avatar. That's there. There might be some anticipatory impulses there to that sort of shift in the culture.
0: Though now. I'm agreeing with all of this, but just to throw a, a small wrench in, and this is to come back to uh, Joseph Farrell, who I mentioned there at the head, Joseph Farrell. Now, his market research, at least this was targeted at young women, right? And the box office numbers would indicate that a lot of people saw this movie, uh, even if the critics didn't like it. So... Uh, is there also a desire somewhere that you're t- that, that Emmy is a stand-in for uh, for female audiences, for the target audience? What would she could she have been a stand-in for?
2: I wonder. Yeah, if women want men to look at them like they're perfect mannequins,
0: I don't know, or just want a guy to <laughs> shop with them. Yeah. I- <laughs> I don't know. It, um, I I really don't have an answer to this. These are just things that I was thinking about. Well, well, I think I think that's interesting,
1: and I think that the the fact that Farrell was running the it's the National Research Group um, NRG uh, this this company that does market research for for films, and he you know was clearly very successful at it, um, and that's the thing that I think has been kind of quietly structuring how we're talking about the you know sort of very one-dimensional stereotypical types of characters but um because when you are putting together a piece that every little part is based in research there isn't going to be time for depth because you have to hit you know your marks at 10 minutes or you have to hit the thing that the audience research says that they want at minute 27 or the mm-hmm. hit single that they want at the closing credits but as as far as a stand-in for the female audience i think um, and obviously I don't have access to, to Farrell's research materials or to him um, to ask him this. But it seems like what he's he's creating is a very uh, obvious sort of cliched princess fantasy. And I would assume or presume that he has the research there that would show sort of the, the, the very retrograde princess fantasy of... The, and she is literally a princess who is transported to to current to the current time. Um,
0: Mannequin set Two. the film, actually, I think Mannequin Two set in it. Uh, it begins with a whole medieval princess i didn't watch it i had to turn it off
1: it it, it is it's uh that's man uh, the the, the original it. mannequin is not a particularly strong film but that second one is really not particularly a strong
2: film yeah where does this one start out it's like they're in like egypt or something ancient yeah. egypt it does yeah.
0: it starts out in ancient egypt and i looked this up because i kept on thinking like why does it sound like the bangles did walk like an egyptian right <laughs> and i'm thinking is this a Bangles B-side or like some band aping the Bangles? But then I realized I believe I wrote this, I have this in my notes are very disorganized. Uh, but I think it's Belinda Carlisle who sang for the go-Gos. Yeah, and I don't think the song has anything to do with like walking like an Egyptian. It's just like there's some executive somewhere's like, oh well, you know, Belinda Carlisle, she's kind of like the Bangles right? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think you're Let's exactly just, right. Put some Egyptian animation in there, and you know the the kids love that. Yeah, no,
1: I, th- I think that's <laughs> exactly right that's a great impression too. We need to bring that <laughs> character back uh, more often. But no, I, th- I think the, the whole watching that whole movie with with the knowledge of Farrell and and what his his position was in terms of market research, the entire film does become. Like you were just just demonstrating, Mike, the the idea of some some dude in a smoke filled room with a cigar, like ah, walk like an Egyptian number one single, uh, put it in Egypt, uh, get someone who kind of sounds like Linda Carlisle, get that cute guy who we can uh, that cute guy from Pretty in Pink who everyone seemed to like, who is probably doesn't have a huge quote right now. And we'll put him in the lead uh, and get the, get the naked lady from Porky's. And it's like, that, that is, it's like, you're watching, you're, you know, get the, get the cantankerous guy from police Academy. And uh, then we'll name his dog Rambo. Cause the kids like Rambo. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it is very much like you you can almost watch another movie as you're watching it, uh which is probably far more entertaining. Mm. It is just a bunch of producers sitting around thinking what is going to be the cheapest most effective thing we can get to canon that somehow because it's a time capsule. I think this film is great, but yeah. uh <laughs> It, it but, would... but, yes, your your insight into just a bunch of old guys sitting around smoking cigars. It's dead. And
2: keep in mind, somehow she goes from an Egyptian princess. She, yeah. like, goes through time. And then when she gets <laughs> to the 80s, she becomes a mannequin.
1: Exactly. Like and, never can, explained, and somehow but... is familiar like, with the cultural right. references of the time, somehow speaks and... You know, in the the contemporary patois, like, there is no, like, sort of moment where she's, you would assume, I'm no time-traveling Egyptian princess expert, but you would assume if you wake up in a department store, you would be shocked and stunned and freaking out and need some sort of (laughs) input (laughs) as to, whoa, what happened to the mummies? Like, where's the, there's a sphinx outside and now there's a... There's a pyramid, and now there's uh, there's a food court. Like, what is this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, to, to have sat in on those board meetings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that could have just been the commentary. That should be the commentary. If that recording exists. Yeah. <laughs> that could just be the commentary. This is what we're going to do here.
2: Like, the whole thing, I don't know, the intro is a cartoon, and I feel like the rest of the film, in a lot of ways, plays out like a cartoon. Yeah. Like there's some ridiculous moments in there. I have a note from the first time I watched the first half and it says McCarthy rides giant swinging sign (laughs) gets electrocuted (laughs) in the ass. All while negotiating to get a job from an old woman like that.
0: It's not so that's a crucial scene in the movie. It is like three stooges
2: in your face. Like the weird sped up
1: film too. When he's all the time. I mean, everything. Yeah.
2: Like it, it is over dialogue.
1: As an example of, you know, obviously all studio productions to some degree are mapped out and, and rooted in research, but it seems like this one, particularly so, is very focused on on sort of piecing it apart and chunking it apart and proof to some extent that the the math does work because this Mm. made something like 95 million in, in 2015 dollars, which is that's a hit. that's a huge hit for, for such a low budget film and proof that, uh, market research works to some degree.
0: Unfortunately, (laughs) obviously, um, I'm going to play a clip. This kind of goes back to a, a point that you raised earlier, Eric, um, but now feels like an okay time to play it. Uh, this is the lead-in to this montage you were talking about, where they're trying on all these different costumes, um, and it is the the montage occurs to I'll say after the various things that happen in the montage, but it plays out to Alicia's "Do You Dream About Me." Mrs. Timken loved what you did last night, but they think
2: I did it. And they want me to keep coming up with brilliant windows. You gotta help me. Of course.
0: You are magic. So, during that little montage that we get, and it's, it's pretty long. I timed it out somewhere, but it's relatively lengthy part of the film. It's almost the entire song, if not the entire song. There are, uh, Cottrell, Emmy and Switcher are dressed as a gangster. Uh, there's a man in a coat. Uh, I guess they're like yuppies. Uh, and she's wearing like some sort of star print top. A man playing an organ. Uh, while Emmy control dances, some punk rocker, new waver types, dressed like they're at the beach, kind of like Miami Vice, uh, a scumbag and a lady in fur who shows her lingerie. And then back in their normal costumes, these kind of yuppie characters. Interesting, actually, that that's the costume that they end with. They end with these. It's sort of the... It's like a costume. It's not really a costume. It's just more like adult clothing or, I don't know, something that, yes. But uh, you had said something earlier. You made a comment about that that little segment there. And like I said, it's fairly lengthy. And I think there's surely, you know, if you're going to spend that much time, it must mean something, even if even if it, that's just what it appeals to your target audience, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of that, and I think by lengthy, um, endless is also <laughs> another hmm. another word. Um, I mean, I think there's maybe a structural thing going on, too, which is to pad out the runtime to, to feature lengths, to get all the bang for your, your uh, music rights buck for the song. And then to cycle through, um, you know, the the montage of people changing clothes is, is a trope, probably as old as as cinema. But uh, in this particular context, and the consumerist context, it almost becomes uh, them play acting various demographics who who might who might find appeal in the sh- in, in the film itself, and then ultimately ending with. Uh, With what, like you said, isn't a costume, but is in fact what they hope to have as their natural state, which is couple, bland couple wearing um, these off-the-rack department store clothes.
0: Yeah. Like something that you might have actually bought at that department store.
1: Yeah, yeah. So It's kind of in its own way an advertisement for itself, or for its uh, perceived uh, cultural ideal.
2: Well, in a way, he's he's an artist trying to function within the system that's built around like the greed of the '80s, and he doesn't know what to do, so he just ends up designing like these window displays. Well, which yep. some it's a time. Also, it's pretty incredible that there's a time when window displays could generate like 89 <laughs> higher sales for department stores. Well, that's, there's there's
0: uh, a uh, well. I I made a note here. Uh, yeah. So just to, uh, just making a clarification point. Then please continue. But I wrote down that. They're, in addition to these kind of different costumes in the music sequence, as a follow-up point, I wondered if that could be compared to the various winded displays at all, because we do get these various w- winded displays. They play tennis in one, they're bicycling in another, one of them is mannequins undressing and Emmy in some sort of weird military costume directing traffic, <laughs> which, like, a, I don't know. Uh, then, finally, the switched display, uh where Hollywood and Switcher switch the mannequins of Emmy out. And then the final display of Emmy and Jonathan getting married. So, again, can those, is there anything like, is there any sort of comparison between that, these kind of little window displays, and and the, the montage, or no? Am I just grabbing at straws?
2: The, on, the only way to be an artist in 80s America is to use that art to sell stuff to people maybe i don't know no maybe it just uh, kind of blew my mind that there was a time when window displays could affect sales so much
1: well and those those sequences <laughs> too of of these this the crowds just in complete fucking awe yes. of a bicycling mannequin like, <laughs> like it's it's uh it was
2: a simpler time
1: it's well, and I think there is actually like there is a line in the film where it's like we got to get down downtown to see those window displays. There's something else, <laughs> boss. Like it's so so clearly the movie is is reaching for this uh, sort of old style screwball thing, mm. but but isn't I mean, is quite obviously not pulling it off, and and almost in a way that had the construction of it not be so that had not been so cynical, it could have possibly pulled it off in sort of this naive. Uh, it, naive, enjoyable um, you know, old-timey uh, style kind of thing more as a, a fairy tale kind of piece but but everything surrounding it and everything coursing through the movie is so cynically calibrated and, and slapped together. Um, it's weird to think that something could be calibrated and yet also slapped together but <laughs> there you have Mannequin.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to actually play another clip because I think this goes to Chris's point, you know, it's and something I asked earlier, is Jonathan Switzer, is he crazy? Or is he an artist? Um, and this is a scene, this scene actually has Spader in it. Uh, and we hear Estelle Getty and G.W. Bailey too. So let's just play that clip. It's that Switcher.
1: I caught him doing awful things to a half-naked dummy.
0: Richards, is this your Claire. idea of a security guard?
1: Claire, I assure you, I had
0: nothing to do... You hired him, you fire him. Well, what if he's telling the truth how can you think that
1: the man is a lunatic but i've never known him to lie I,
0: he, he's absolutely right mr richards this store has never been more successful and it's all due to jonathan switcher i don't care if he puts a rubber glove on his head and runs naked through the store yelling hi i'm a squid hi morning mrs t so is he crazy <laughs> or does it matter or is that or is that? again, what it is to be an artist in the 80s.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, you're clearly dealing with uh, a man with some deep-seated sexual issues. (laughs) 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 But, you know, I I think uh, there's one thing to, you know, love your art and love your materials, but there's another, too, where uh, you dance with it and hallucinate and uh, are essentially treating them as uh, a living thing. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, this is a guy who could uh, do for a couple of therapy sessions I don't think it would hurt
2: <laughs> well they have this theory about him that he's like you know a pervert with these mannequins but uh they also let him like sleep overnight in the store and effectively <laughs> live there so like it's kind of their own fault I guess <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're, they're enabling they're yeah, enabling his exactly. uh, his inanimate object fetish
0: <laughs> well, I kind of wondered you know I guess that another way to read the ending is that you could maybe the whole if the whole ending is a is a delusion. Yeah. <laughs> that that's his ultimate delusion. Um, <laughs> that, that she becomes real and they get married in the shop window. Then I'm okay with that. If yeah, one, yeah I, if I'm pretty sure a producer would tell me, stop oh yeah, now. that's what we meant.
1: <laughs> we were, that was totally what we are going for. Is that know? what you wanted it to mean? Yeah, yeah then it means that. <laughs> that's what it means. <laughs> yes. Everything and nothing all at once.
0: Right, to, to some starship. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a man at the
2: end of the film. There's like is he a janitor maybe? And then yeah. he's trying he ends up kissing a real woman and then is like mad that she's not a mannequin.
0: <laughs> I didn't really No? No, 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 no. I didn't I, I didn't know what to make of the ending. I kinda of thought I watched this film now twice, um, and probably saw it sometime when I was a kid. But I was coming up to the ending and I was thinking, like, oh, is he gonna be the guy who finds the next mannequin? You know? Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Ending. But it doesn't happen. Like he jumps into the trash at the end and maybe I was just like I don't know. Maybe I just like tuned out completely at that point, but I didn't I didn't know what I was even meant to understand. Like what was happening.
2: I don't know. I think the guy wa- wished that that real woman was a mannequin that he could make out with, and she wasn't, and then he was
0: mad. So you got him himself- some, maybe, there you go. It's the, Yeah, that's a kind of, you made that, somebody made that point earlier about uh, some sort of controlling of female sexuality. Apparently the the janitor at the end, he wanted to deal with uh, some sort of inanimate object.
1: I ask myself that a lot during the film: of what, huh? What's going on now? What? What is the point here? What? There's there's a mannequin thing, sky gliding,
2: (laughs) hang gliding in a department store, hang gliding mannequin. uh,
1: Yeah, James Spader uh, playing a character who looks like he marched out of the Gestapo. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot going on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, his character will stop at nothing to win. For his store, you know, like he's they're they're kind of trying to kill him when they're chasing him and he's on his moped, right? Yeah. With the
0: car, it seems like. I have one more clip. Okay. Um and uh, I, I mean I kind of feel like we've talked about some of these things, but I'll just kind of read what I have here. So throughout the film, Emmy, as we've said, only comes alive in front of Switcher. In the film's conclusion, however, Emmy comes to life in front of other people after a final confrontation, which we were just talking about, uh, with rival department store owner B.J. Wirt, played by Steve Vinovich. This confrontation takes place in the bowels of the department store. It's the only time that we actually see the bowels of the store. Maybe an interesting uh, talking point. Maybe not. With the conclusion of the film, however, while rocking out to Starship, Switcher and Emmy... Get married in the shop window as part of a display, and I just wondered, you know well, I'll play this clip, I'll play the clip first, and I'll just ask my question at the head. This is a, a the the clip is right kind of coming into the conclusion of the film where Switcher asks Emmy why she can't come alive in front of other people, and then she does come alive. so what can we say about this final image of Switcher? and Emmy in the shop window, Emmy now alive, getting married. And here's that clip where Switcher wishes Emmy was alive. Emmy, please, you got to help me. I can't come alive in front of Hollywood. Besides, you can do it on your own. How can you say that? We're a team. We do everything together.
2: You can't hold yourself back because of me. Now, come on. Hollywood's waiting. You'll do a masterpiece tonight. Emmy... Be waiting
0: in the window. Any thoughts on that final image when she does come alive?
2: I mean, it's, I guess it's the perfect happy ending. She comes alive. Maybe he becomes a mannequin. I don't know.
0: Well, they do. They, they are it's like a they,
2: display, they are posed like mannequins. So, is she a real person in a mannequin display in the real world?
0: Right. Or is he a mannequin? I don't know. Does it matter? It's a good question. <laughs> just letting that hang. I think, yeah. I think they probably made the right choice playing I some. Feel like, yeah. Playing some. Starship. I was going to say as soon
2: as I started, like the moment it like kind of was like, oh, okay, what? And then it played the song, and I was super happy. How so those was like, yes. What are
0: those lyrics?
2: Nothing's going <laughs> to stop
0: us now. <laughs> wow. Something <laughs> <Just, laughs> forever. Capital just blowing no, over gone. everything. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> just, it just erased just all my by, questions.
0: Target research <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> this will wrap up all the loose ends You got yeah. something
0: smart to say? Forget about it <laughs> 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 uh,
1: Do they kiss? Get to the song Get them out Get them out Get to the song <laughs>
0: That's uh...
2: Carmen Yeah Yeah very very you Kill the monster
0: <laughs> Yeah
2: Get the hell out
0: <laughs> So yeah I, I don't really have anything else to say Unless either you two guys do I was just going to move into my final review Or our final review of the film
1: yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm curious to to what you have to say. I mean, I can probably figure out what you're going to say here, Mike. But I do know that when we were talking about this uh, this particular film, you you uh, correct me if I'm wrong uh, said that this had almost driven you to some form of therapy.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: it did. Could you elaborate on that, or is it still too fresh I, to? Uh...
0: I'm pretty sure part of it. Before I give my review is I had some sort of nostalgia myself about this film, and then re-watching it, just, it has nothing, has nothing in it to recommend it. My review of the film, I give this film a two, that being our lowest possible score on the James Spader podcast. I feel that this film uh, missed multiple opportunities. That's why I'm giving it a two. It has, a, I think, an interesting concept. Uh, which I was kind of alluding to earlier. I think it actually has a really neat idea here somewhere that is waiting for an intelligent reboot, somebody to do something with it. And so many things could have been done with it, but nothing was. Its humor is flat and uninspired, and the plot is dull. My recommendation that is that if you want to watch something with mannequins in it, watch today's special. It's more fun and has puppets. Or uh, the rather excellent episode of The Twilight Zone, which I watched uh, prior to the, this show, recording of this cast, After Hours. Finally, my most grievous complaint about this film is all the great talent that I just feel is wasted. It really has a pretty good cast. G.W. Bailey, Estelle Getty, Andrew McCarthy, Kim Cattrall, Misha Taylor, James Spader. How can you go wrong? Mannequin does. That said... I'm going to give Spader's performance a 7 for effort. I don't really like his character, to be honest, or the performance, but at the same time, I can't hold him accountable for the choices in the performance that he made. I blame instead the production at large. Likewise, I give all the actors in this film a 7 because I can only imagine that essentially what they wound up doing for most of the film was directing themselves, um, is what it felt like to me. Just like people saying like, okay, I guess this is what somebody wants. I'll, I'll slick my hair down and act like a Nazi. So actors get a seven film gets a two. All
2: right, let's see. Well, it totally depends how you're watching this film, I would say, because I'm kind of inclined to agree with Mike where it's not really a good movie. But like Eric mentioned before, as a time capsule, and if you want to watch something where you are just kind of perplexed throughout or trying to figure out what the hell was going on and I didn't know about the producer like who did the market research it actually makes a lot more sense now yeah. but when I was watching it I had no idea why so many of the choices were made which made it very entertaining to watch not because it was good necessarily but because of how weird it was and just trying to piece it all together. So yeah. there's an entertainment value there and that but that's doesn't mean it's good. So I'm gonna give the film a five. Just because there is there's some good fun to be had there. Um Spader's performance, I think I would agree it's probably a seven. It's very cartoonish. There was a moment that I kinda I did laugh out loud when he uh Him and the guy from Police Academy were driving the car, chasing after uh, Andrew McCarthy, and they somehow launched up in an alleyway and got wedged between a few buildings. (laughs) And the car's just stuck there. And Spader just makes a classic cartoon frozen face that I I I lost it.
0: Whoever the DP was (laughs) probably used that in his reel all the time. Like, yeah, I shot that right there. The car got stuck in the alley. Anyway. So, so
2: that's my scores. Yeah,
0: that, that's, that's that's good. I, a,
2: yes. five
1: a, a five and a seven. Five and a seven, Eric. Of yeah, and I, I'm I'm I think we're all pretty much in the same page here. I think like Chris pointed out that as as a time capsule, um, I, I think you can find few things uh, better than this one and. Mike, you had mentioned the nostalgia factor. I had an enormous amount of nostalgia about this, and I don't even actually ever really remember watching it as a kid. I remember like bits and pieces flying around on Showtime or HBO, but that the video box just constantly being there at the video store wherever I would go. Uh, whenever I would go to the video store, so there is it does. It's one of those weird cultural artifacts that exists even without much, <laughs> without me having had much knowledge of it until rewatching it. Um, as for Spader, I, again, I would say I agree. Straight sevens. He's actually, and and the performances in general. It's I would say borderline heroic. How much energy people bring to this?
0: Yes, actually, Eric, you just put. They that did try what? to make it good. Yeah, that I feel like without the cast.
1: Oh, this would have been I yeah. mean dire. Yeah, like it would have been
0: <laughs> so, and they did a good job. Like everybody did what they needed to do. Which again, I kind of wonder. I kind of want. I don't know, but you just get the sense like these people are like because they're great character actors. Many of them. Yeah. Uh, or, or reprising like they know what is wanted and they're going to play that guy he played in Police Academy. Or yeah. Estelle's going to play the old crotchety lady. Yeah, you know they they know how to kind of appease. So I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to jump in, but yes, no, her, her, no, I, I heroic performances.
1: I think that's spot on, and it is it is borderline um, kind of astounding, like how much energy they're able to generate with absolutely nothing at their disposal, and um, from from Meshack Taylor to McCarthy to to, to Spader, who. Pulls off, manages to sneak in a super weird performance in this movie pitched towards teenagers, to G.W. Bailey, who very few people in the 80s or 90s did gruff authori- authoritarian figure as as amusingly as him. Um, Kim Cattrall is is really charming and entertaining, uh, and all of that in service of of something so paper thin and offensive in in a lot of ways. Um, it's kind of impressive. Um, but yeah, I would Spader and performances across the board, a seven. The film itself, probably a three or a four, just because I do think there's some merit there in the, the time capsule or camp value, um, or the watching it as and pretending that Joseph Farrell and company are constantly commenting and, and, and you're watching <laughs> that movie rather than what you're actually presented with.
0: Uh, he was the artist. <laughs> he was he was something. I, working in the department store of Hollywood. Yeah, working working in a different type of shop window. <laughs> and that
1: yeah, that screen is his window.
0: Yes. I believe next we will be taking a look at Pretty in Pink, which we actually skipped over to do mannequin for. Um they were done around the same year. So next cast, Pretty in Pink. See you then. We'll see you there.
1: See you then.
2: I'm going to go try to sleep in a department store.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming for you, Macy's.
0: have been listening to the James Spader podcast. Previous shows are available on iTunes and all shows are archived at www.protozoic.com If you have questions, comments, or just want to say hey, what's up, write us at jsp at protozoic.com That's jsp at p-r-o-t-o-z-o-i-c dot com. And be be sure to follow us on Twitter at James Spadercast till next month Spaderites